Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. We're here for the Invested Podcast. It's the time for all of us to discuss how to be invested. In our lives, in our money, in our thought processes, in our emotions, in our awareness. How much more abstract can I make this? (laughs) (laughs) Really what we're trying to find out is what stock should I buy? (laughs) Yeah. But we have made it into this enormous conversation of abstraction. We're cracking each other up because Charlie Munger said it's totally easy. You know, what would they have to talk about the rest of the semester if they taught this way of investing to everybody? Charlie Munger being Warren Buffett's partner at Berkshire and a brilliant investor. And he said, you just be capable of understanding the business. You just make sure it's got a durable competitive advantage that's intrinsic to the business. Make sure it's got management that have integrity and talent. And, you know, you can't pay an infinite price, so you buy it at a, at a fair price or with a margin of safety. And that's yeah, no all big there is deal. to it. I mean, NBD. <laughs> and it turns out that it can take a long time to unwrap those four things. And, <laughs> um, and, and those who don't unwrap them fail to do so at their peril, because if you get one of those wrong, um, given the other criteria for great investing, which is to focus rather than diversify or what they would say over diversify for um, value investing for value investing, then you're going to be in trouble because we're going to only buy maybe 20 companies in our lifetime. We're going to focus on keeping the portfolio size to something around 10 ish uh, up to 20 because we simply don't have time <clears throat> to learn about enough of these companies to have more than that. I mean, we barely have time to learn about <clears throat> any companies. Let's be real. So yeah, we're trying to figure out how I am trying to figure out how on earth to do all of this without it turning into the world's biggest project in a full time job. And clearly, it's not as easy as Charlie makes it sound. So there's the the right answer lies somewhere in the middle. Charlie's right that it is actually really simple. It requires, however, an iron discipline to not do stuff most of the time, to not invest most of the time. And that's really, really hard for people to understand. Uh, you know, our, It's our, hard because it feels like you're not accomplishing anything. It feels like you set out with your time. And by the way, we are going to talk about valuation today. We are not going to talk about anything else. I promised everybody that we would get to valuation and we will. So we're not going to talk about anything else except this. Except this. That's what I mean. <laughs> I'm so glad that you understand exactly what I mean. <laughs> but we we have to find the sweet spot of how much time you can spend and feeling like that time creates results. I mean, somebody who just looks at companies, let's say they look at companies all day long, but never buy one. What's the point of that? No, we've got to buy one eventually. Well, I'm really happy with that person. They look at companies all day long um, or they look at companies... 15 minutes a day or they look at companies an hour a week or whatever time they have but they do it as a discipline in life they're invested in this process and they're going to stay with it regardless of whether it's 15 minutes a week or or 15 hours a week obviously that's a good point i mean that's the practice that we're talking about all the time and that's what i've been trying to do is just is just start it in my own life as a practice and not put that pressure on myself to buy something because I'm completely intimidated by the idea of actually buying something. 
Yeah, and this is why we talk, we, we do, I, I like your idea that it's a practice in the sense of a yoga practice or a meditation practice, because there's no end to it and there's no perfection. There's no final moment where you've got it. It is a cumulative process and the key to it is the discipline of the practice. It's cumulative in the sense that everything you learn, you know, the person that's reading about companies all day long is accumulating more information than somebody that does it for 15 minutes, but they're both accumulating. And over time, that that little snowball turns into a gigantic avalanche. <clears throat> in fact, uh, one of the biographies on Warren Buffett is called Snowball uh, for two <laughs> reasons, actually. One is that this little thing that you start down the mountain um, accumulates more and more knowledge so that as it gets rolling after a few years, you really do have a lot of information, even if you just start with a very little amount of time in the practice. A lot of information happens because you're focusing it on a very small number of industries, a very small part of the market as part of that practice. And second uh, metaphor about the snowball is that it is about accumulating wealth um, slowly but surely through a process called compounding growth rates, which have an enormous impact on you down the road and very difficult to see the impact in a as the snowball starts down the mountain but boy by the time it really gets rolling it's very easy to see the impact and this impact of compounded growth rates is either working for you in your life in terms of building up wealth um, more and more rapidly or it works against you as you spend wealth through um, credit cards and and compounded rates of return and the interest rates that you pay so I, I am 100% good with the idea that you just do it a little bit at a time and you try very hard to apply the discipline of not expecting to buy anything right away, of just being cool with it. I'm with you. Yeah, I think, but I think it's both. And, and you, you just made two points that illustrate how it's both. So the first thing you said was focus. Focus on a certain, let's say, one industry and then a certain number of companies within that industry, or maybe maybe if you're expanding your focus slightly, a couple of industries and then the companies within those industries. But you're, you're focusing your time, you're focusing your attention, and most importantly, focusing your knowledge. And by doing that, it's all coming, I mean, I'm in like making this sort of triangle of vision in my mind of like how to bring it down to one point. And then the other thing you said was compounding, which is you have to buy something in order for things to compound, right? So both things are true. You're focusing in the sense of you're not buying anything, you're doing your research, you're moving along with your practice. And the other side, eventually you buy something because that is also the point. It's like there's a goal, but there's no goal. There's no goal, but there's a goal. There's a point, but there's an expansion. There's an expansion, but there's a point. It's all together simultaneously. Oh my gosh, we're we're channeling we're channeling somebody here. I don't know who, but it's pretty. Come cool. on, you know it's true. You know it's true, and you just said it. You just you okay, but I don't want to get it so esoteric and out there in the weeds that you just feel like oh, you know, I I don't want to feel like that. I want to feel like okay, I'm doing something really practical here, and which what, we are. I mean, compounding. How much more practical can you get? But compounding works against you as well, and so. If you are sitting there with nothing and you own no companies and your cash is just sitting there, that's a far better place for it to be 
than in something that goes down like a brick because you jumped the gun, because you got nervous about not doing anything. So you don't want it compounding against you. In fact, Warren Buffett makes a very strong case that there's only two rules of investing. Rule number one, don't lose money. And rule number two, don't forget rule number one. And that's right to that point of not doing something until you're very certain that you're doing the right thing. Because if you take your portfolio down 50% by having a mistake, it has to go up 100% to break even. That's a gigantic that terrifying thing. number. That's a huge number. That's a can you imagine compounding your money at a hundred percent? I mean, if you're making fifteen percent a year, you're doing great. Which means if you lose fifty percent and then you do great for the next five years, you break even, which is horrifying. So this is what kills people's desire to be part of this practice. Is there they when you start to realize what's involved here in terms of your retirement, in terms of your ability to have money, you start to realize how serious this is. And many people choose to give their money to someone who cannot invest it at a decent rate of return, as opposed to taking this on personally themselves because it's so intimidating for them. Exactly, that's what we were talking about last time. The emotions of it all overwhelms the practicalities and even the desire to be involved because it just it's just too much. It's too hard. It's too much. It's too overwhelming. It seems like too much time. And yet and I, I and get yet, all of that. I get yet, all of it. I am that person. <laughs> then then and yet Charlie's right. It's dead simple. But it requires patience. And that means that you must recognize that if it's difficult to find a wonderful company on sale, it's because the market is in a place where it's, it's priced in all of the value of the businesses. In other words, the market, according to our, the founder of value investing, Ben Graham, the market simply fluctuates. It, it, it moves up and down. And if you're in a cycle where the market is up, mm-hmm. then it's going to be really time-consuming, difficult, um, you know, really requires a lot of skill to find a really great business that's on sale because that means that all of the thousands of superstar investors that are out there looking for a business that's on sale have somehow overlooked this one that you, you know, high school teacher who runs the gym club, you found it, not the Wharton guys, but you did. And that just doesn't happen very often. Okay, it can happen, but it doesn't happen very often. And we we talk a lot about events that make that actually possible in any market. But in general, the smart way to think about this is that the market is going to fluctuate. And if it is in a time like I I believe it is it is right now where it's fully priced up, everything is pretty much at its value or even well above its value because of actions coming in from Around the world, governments trying to prop up their economies, trying to keep employment high, uh, trying to reduce unemployment. All of those things create a lot of pressure on prices to go up. I mean, you know, usually there's multiple choices for people to put their money into. Um, they can they can buy bonds, they can lend money to the government and buy bonds, or a corporation and buy bonds, or they can put money in stocks. Um, and the trouble is right now. The bonds don't pay anything, and everybody's being driven into stocks, and and you're you're being herded into stocks, no question about it, to support the growth of businesses, to support 
the, the value of 401k retirement accounts, all of which encourage people to keep voting for the politicians that are there doing this and which try to, you know, encourage the growth of employment. So, oh, my God, it's the worst. It's all the worst. No, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it is. The OK, case. so tell me this then. OK, let's say that I have a market that is not the stock market. It's a little market on little Main Street and it involves exactly one business and it's called the lemonade stand. Ah, beautiful. How on earth would I ever value that lemonade stand? Okay, you, you took us cleverly back to the point of today's I don't know podcast. what you're talking about. <laughs> then let me go through it. All right, we have been trying to do this lemonade stand for weeks, so let's let's We have go. been doing this lemonade stand for weeks. Let's not, let's not sell ourselves short here. Okay. We have been doing this lemonade stand for weeks, and everyone has been following along very valiantly because listening to numbers, I think, is well, one of the least fun things to do in life. But we have to do it, and, um, and so we're doing it. So where we are is that we discussed the, um, I can't remember what the first one was called. What was the first kind of valuation called? We just call it the margin of safety analysis. But we did another one before that that was kind of like real estate analysis. Oh, we call that the 10 cap. Oh, the 10 cap analysis. Yeah. Okay, so we've done the 10 cap analysis. Oh, well, and we have, you, go we ahead. Have, we have done the margin of safety analysis. And I think we ended a few podcasts ago before we got mildly sidetracked with our fascinating discussions about life um, with saying that we were going to wrap up margin of safety, right? Yeah, we, we really have kind of like four ways to go at, uh, at value. And there's, you know, there are entire uh, probably focuses in in. in business school on valuation, but we're not trying to be superheroes of valuation. We're going to recognize that there's a lot of difficult valuation problems that we can't solve and would have to go to an expert in valuation who really studied it for many, many years. We're, what we're trying to do is just value companies that are reasonably easy to figure out. And we're going to look at it um, four different ways. I'm going to go through those again with you today. Just quickly. Well, we've only gone through two so far. Yeah, so we're going to get to the to the other two. Okay. So let me just recap here. The the okay, easiest cool. one of all we call the ten cap, and that is um, similar to what we would look at it with a piece of real estate that is, let's say, a suboptimal piece of real estate or a farm that's producing cash to us that we put in our pocket, and the amount of cash, let's say, is a hundred bucks. And we can value that real easily. We're just saying, okay, well, I will be willing to receive from uh, the purchase price of this business um, a 10% return. And so that 10% return is what that $100 is. So the $100 must be a 10% return or better. So I know how much I'm getting. I'm getting the 100 bucks. Now the question is, how much am I investing to get a 10% return mm -hmm. from $100? How much will I pay? How much that? will I pay? 10%. And the answer would be 10% divided into 100, which is 1,000. And now I know what price I'm willing to pay under the 10 cap valuation. I'm willing to pay $1,000 to get $100 of return into my pocket. Now that return is free cash flow or what? without getting too crazy about it, let's just remember that there's multiple ways of looking at things. 
one of the ways that Warren Buffett looks at it, he calls owner cash flow, which is pretty close to free cash flow. And in our lemonade stand, they're going to be the, the, about the same. So we're going to say that the money we put oh, into yeah, our Yeah, that's profit, what we called it. That's why I was a little confused. We called it the free cash flow analysis before. Well, we did a free cash flow analysis, and, and then we used that in order to come up with a value. I see. So in our lemonade stand, our free cash flow turned out to be $8 this year. It's been growing, and, and we have it at $8. So if we know we're going to get $8 from the lemonade stand on a per share basis, we simply divide the $8 by 10%, and we get a 10-cap valuation of 80 bucks per share. So we would okay. be... Happy to pay for this, um, about $80 per share. Now, the one difference between our real estate deal or our farm deal and the lemonade stand is that the lemonade stand's doing great. It's growing along at 13% a year. It is not suboptimal. It, it, it doesn't need paint. It doesn't need the lawn mode. Um, it doesn't need better farming practices. It's already running really good. So why would we say the 10 cap would apply to a well-run business? Um, since you can't fix it up? And the answer is that because we know it's growing. It's a, it's a well-run business. It's growing at a nice clip above 10% per year rate of growth. And because it is, it's like a real estate deal where when you trim the hedges and paint the building, you can raise the rent and you can grow the rent uh, at a certain rate per year. So typically real estate rents don't grow very fast, you know, one or two or 3% a year. This business is growing at 13% a year, so. Okay, so normally you would use this valuation method for a suboptimal kind of business, the kind of business you buy and then you're gonna fix up. Yeah, but Much since like we can an old house or something. Yeah, yeah, but since but we can't fix this up. What I have for this one is for an optimal business. Not a suboptimal business, but an optimal, a beautiful lemonade stand with everything perfect. Yep. We can use this method evaluation because we are projecting that it's going to continue to grow reliably as it has in the past. Very good. Absolutely right. Um, we can also look at this uh, in terms of a company that's going through some kind of a crisis. Um, you know, like a, a, the banks all went through a crisis in 2009. And you could look at their earnings and say, wow, their earnings are negative or their earnings are almost nothing and try to. That sounds suboptimal to me. It is suboptimal. So you would you would sort of skip over the current level of earnings and just look at where they're going to be when they get fixed back up, hmm. just like a farm or a piece of real estate. So that's the 10 cap. Really simple, really, really simple. And, and we'll provide you with a very high bar to finding a good business. I'm going to tell you right now, it'd be very hard to find good businesses with a 10 cap. It's going to be tough. I love how the answer. <laughs> you're like, okay, so that one, basically, you're not going to find anything. So now I'm going to give you another method <laughs> that will provide you with less good businesses. <laughs> Let's continue. <laughs> I, thank you very much for that. That's really a Really, unfortunately, it's a very unfortunate way I to say I just feel it. like it's such a classic math class answer. Like, this is why I didn't like math when I was in high school. It was like, oh, okay, so now I just explained everything to you, but now I'm going to change it all. Well, let me tell you what we should do with our business. If we found a business and we really like it, and we see that we, you know, we should try to buy this for about $80 today, but we can't because it's selling for $160 or $190 or whatever, um, okay, but that means you know it goes on the watch list, and we wait for the market to fluctuate. And ultimately, Mr. Market is going to come off of this 
you know, this euphoric state of everything's always going to go up and it's going to come down. And when it does, this is going to go on sale. So you want to know what to pay for it. You want to have done your homework and then you want to load up the truck when it does provide you with that tin cap. So that's okay. how you do that one. Okay. All right. Next one is the lemonade stand margin of safety analysis, which is more of a classic business analysis that says we know what the earnings are. And the earnings in this case are $11. Um, and again, we'll put these numbers up on the website so you can look at them um, and just see them in black and white. Yeah, and I'm going to put together a whole summary of this whole thing once we finally finish it as well. Okay, so there's four things we need to know um, that are just simply uh, numbers in order to figure out what we call the sticker price of the business or really the intrinsic value uh, or what the business is worth as a business to somebody who would want to buy it, right? And we start with the earnings, which are just the, the latest earnings adjusted for anything that happened that's stupid in short term, okay? So earnings could be sky high or they could be deeply down or whatever. As long as you know it's really short term, you adjust the earnings to a reasonable number that they should have had. And um, then you add the growth rate, which in our lemonade stand, we got $11 of earnings and earnings are growing historically at 13%. The growth rate isn't given to you anywhere. Earnings are given to you. That's a fact. Um, but the growth rate is something you have to step back a bit and look at. And that's where we went at the four growth rates with with sales yeah. growth and, and book value growth and earnings growth and cash growth. And we just kind of look to get an idea of something we feel is very long-term uh, uh, capable of the business to do long-term. And that's why we really want to look far out in the future and, and make sure we're finding a number here that's you know real doable by this business it's done it in the past it can do it in the future um, for that one of the critical things is to make sure that the industry can support this business continuing to grow so the lemonade stands really simple because lemonade you know we have a fairly small business and it can grow gigantic and never soak up the business for lemonade um, but other businesses could already be quite large apple computer um, is currently valued at $500 billion, and it has tremendous size of revenue, tremendous market share. How big can it grow? Um, so you're saying like when you look back at Apple's growth, it could be whatever it is. I don't know. Let's say it's 20%, like really, really good for years and years and years. And you're saying, I don't know if it can continue that. Yep. You have to kind of size it into its market and make sure that you feel like there's a big enough market here for this thing to continue to grow at the growth rate that you're stipulating. So at 20, let's let's say Apple was growing at 26% per year for many, many years. That would mean every three years it would double its its size of earnings and revenue. So you have to look at that and say, wow, um, in eight years, Apple Seems will have bit. all the I'm money like, in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are some people out there who think that they will. I mean, it's it, it's hilarious how out of, out of control this can get. And good investors, and by the way, um, you know, Prem Watsa said this about investing, I think, and that is, a, he's like the Warren Buffett of Canada. He said, the biggest mistake you can make is to think that those people out there on Wall Street know more than you do. Um, <laughs> they make emotional mistakes all the time. And one of the famous ones was Yahoo was valued at a point where within about 10 to 15 years of of the, the date that it was, was a value was put on it by Mr. Market, that company would have to have all of the revenue of the United States being spent on every single good and services would have to be spent on Yahoo in order to justify that price. 
<laughs> that would be too high at that point. So you say, okay, well, that's probably not going to happen. Okay, so basically you're supposed to run through this analysis and then say, wait a second, is this... Is literally this, possible which requires you capable of understanding the business that you're in that's just simple and some perspective right so we're using a 13 percent growth rate which means it's going to double the size of the business every six years or so and um, that doesn't seem unreasonable at all for the lemonade business and then we're going to use a pe and this is just a multiple of the earnings we've talked about this at length and we're going to use a 20 pe here because that's historically what the sort of high-end pe is and finally, we're going to require a return every year of 15%, which is how we're going to ultimately value the business. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to take those numbers and we're going to grow earnings into the future at 13% per year. And that's yes. just simply a, a little Excel formula that you can look up called FV equals FV. And you put in the stuff it requires, which would mean you start with earnings at 11, you grow them at 13% and you do so for 10 years. We're using 10 years very specifically here for a reason. And that is that we want to get far enough out there that we really are forcing ourselves to look deep at the long term uh, of this business. Um, and second, that it gives us some nice numbers to work off easily. So the 10 year $11 earnings grows in 10 years to be $37 at 13% a year. And then yes, we, and I just want to make a note that when we discussed this last time, we just rounded that up to $40 for easiness. That's where we got the 200 Okay, all right. Yeah. So I'm coming back. Yeah, to, yeah. I'm because not, we, we originally, I think I think we had 38 actually, because again, you were just kind of doing back of the envelope calculations. And then you just rounded up to 40 I just want everyone to be clear if they're looking back at their notes, why their notes say $40. All right, cool. So if we do $37, multiply it by a 20 PE, we get 746 If we do... $40 multiplied by 20, we get 800. So that's where those two numbers are coming from. So we're, we're ballparking. It's windage, right? I mean, it's just like you're, you're just trying to, you're not, you don't have a wind barometer. You're just sticking your finger in the air trying to feel where the wind's coming from here. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Did you say it's windage? It's not, it's not. Is sign. that a word? Yeah. It's windage. Yeah, it's a windage. So it's, it's a shooting term. It's a windage? It's, it's it's a noun. It's a noun. It's windage. It's it's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. It's Stop it's Stop it. Yeah, it's where the it's used in shooting terms. It's like where the bullet's going to drift to because the wind is blowing. Oh, would you say like how's the windage today? Yeah. That right. windage really messed with my shot? It did. Yeah, you'd say exactly that. Oh. That windage. I love yeah. it. I I I'm probably going to get emails from shooters going you moron, the wind Messed with my shot, not I, the wind. I don't know why you can't use that perfectly good word that already exists, but I really enjoy windage instead. <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? If you're shooting a thousand yards at a little tiny target, the windage is going to mess with you. That Trust me. So yeah. <clears throat> we're just making a rough approximation here that gets us in the ballpark so we can get an idea of value. It's an idea of value, and we're going to apply a big margin of safety because our idea of value could be off a bit. So here we have one view is 746. If we're trying to be perfectionist and we're rounding it, we end up with 800. Okay, fine. Now, the sticker, in other words, the 746 or $800 is the future value of that company if our growth rate is right in the future, if in fact we grow it at 11 from $11 on, if we're using the correct PE. So there's a lot of things that can be off here. Okay, so you used 
$37. Yeah. And from there you got that you would that we would have $746 per share in 10 years. That's of, what that means, of, right? A value of what it's worth of intrinsic value. Yeah. What okay, somebody would share in 10 years. <clears throat> now, we are going to require 15% a year. <clears throat> so if we know that we need 15% a year and we know that we're going to sell it for $746 in 10 years, then we know what we should start with. And so that is a simple calculation. In fact, it just works out that if you divide $746 by four, you'll get $186 roughly. And that $186 is what you should pay for this business if in 10 years you're gonna sell it for 746. Because if you buy it for $186 and 10 years later you sell it for a 746, you will make 15% per year compounded. Your snowball will have grown larger. Mm, okay. All right. So that's what it's worth. That's what you, quote, should pay for it. That's the fair market value. That is the intrinsic value. Yeah. Now, because we're using windage. <clears throat> be, as I can't help it. It cracks me up. <laughs> as Charlie says, the... Because of I the, was just gonna say it's exactly like the vicissitudes of life. There you go, Charlie. The vicissitudes. It's almost of, as though the windage affects the vicissitudes of life. <laughs> it <laughs> blows them hither and thither. One never go. knows how the windage will create a new vicissitude. You're making fun of my noun. I love <laughs> it. It's the best word I've heard in a week. I'm gonna start using it like crazy. <laughs> Well, the vicissitudes of life and the windage of a shot are very, very much the same kind of thing. It's the unpredictableness that happens as this bullet is traveling a thousand meters through the air. Things can change in that period of time. And so over this 10 year Things period. out of your control. <clears throat> out of your control. The vicissitudes of windage. Yes. So... At the end of the day, we need to have a margin of safety, and that accounts for a lot of errors here. And, our and those vicissitudes, by the way, and the windage are what cause a lot of the emotional fear. I would say maybe it even causes all of the emotional fear. I would agree completely. The market hates uncertainty and unpredictability. So how does this valuation method handle it? Well, since we recognize that there are there's windage out there, there's vicissitudes of life, we are going to cut the price in half and give ourselves an enormous margin of safety. Um, and therefore, if we have a sticker price or an intrinsic value of $186, that's what we should pay for it. If we're just a business buying a business, we wanna buy it for half of that. And that's how we handle the, the, uh, the uncertainties that are out there. So let me, let me kind of walk through this. We handle the uncertainties by being capable of understanding the industry. We handle the uncertainties by looking at the intrinsic characteristics of the company that make it durable against competitors. We handle the uncertainty by having management that's talented with integrity, that's not gonna rip us off. And then finally, after we figure out what it's worth, if you have all of those things, we handle the uncertainty by cutting that in half and insisting we buy it for half off. Okay. And that's how we do it. And that's a lot <laughs> of windage that we can handle right there. 
And that's how we, we get comfortable that we've applied so much uh, margin of safety to this process every yeah. step of the way. That is a lot of margin of safety, I'll give you that. Yeah, it's not, it's, the margin of safety is priced into the original sticker price of 186 bucks. There's a tremendous amount of margin of safety built into that. Um, and then if we've screwed that up somehow, we account for that by dropping the price in half. So mm -hmm. there we have a, a high degree of confidence. If we can buy this thing, in this case for $93, we're in pretty tall cotton. We got a lot of things that can go wrong here and we're still gonna come out okay. Our rounded price when we did it before was $100, our margin of safety price was $100 per share and now we've got $93 as our more specific price. Is that a big difference to you? No. That's $7? No. It's not a big difference. We're, we're applying so much margin of safety. You think about it, it's 7%. You know, yeah. that being 7% off isn't, isn't really relevant. 7% could be a lot, though. I mean, really. Like, so let's say I'm looking at this lemonade stand for real, and it's selling for $96. Do I go, well, that's above my more specific price but it's below my general price. Or maybe I didn't even do the rounded one. Maybe I only did the specific one. And I've got you know, $96 instead of $93. Do I wait for it to go down to 93? I think if you're, if you're a beginning investor, you, you try to insist on getting your number. And the more experience you have with this, um, you'll, two things will happen. First, you'll find that the vicissitudes of life are very real and can change things dramatically. Um, so that you are you recognize that you're not going to get perfection um, and and kind of enforcing that level of perfection on an, on a beginner is just a good idea you just let's just be hardcore about it so that we just don't be really strict yeah so we don't waffle our way into something here and just that that mental discipline of being strict about it is good for us right you, and as you start off as a beginner we're going to make it a little tougher than we would in the in the future down the road when you really know how to how to evaluate a business and know that you've got this big moat intrinsic characteristics are huge in this business you know you look at what warren buffett does he's going to buy stuff at 20 30 40 percent below the sticker price not necessarily 50 percent below which mm -hmm. is something he may have insisted on 50 60 years ago Mm. So we're going to be tougher on ourselves at the beginning. And, the and I bet you get, as you do it over time, I bet you get a sense of which industries are okay to do that in and which are not okay to do that in. Oh, or even like so. which type of macroeconomic situations are okay to do that in and which are really not. When you need to be strict and when you can be a little bit more lax. And I have no idea. So I, I take your point about experience helping you. Yeah, I mean, I, I can give you one example that's just really, really good. And that is industries that, that require creative destruction to, of their own products to move forward with the new generation <laughs> are inherently extremely dangerous in terms of predicting their value. You mean every technology company that's out there? Precisely. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in, in other words, in order to invest in a technology company, I would need to see that they... Um, have other characteristics than just the technology that give them intrinsic protection. Um, mm -hmm. For example, Buffett is bought into IBM because he feels like their brand plus their the switching mode that they have, where they you know if you're in if you have IBM equipment and software and and developers working in your shop, you tend to stay with them. That switching mode protects them and it gives them with the kind of cash flow they generate. 
the opportunity to simply buy their way into any new technology. So IBM no longer has to be looked at as a technology company where they're, they have to reinvent the wheel. They can simply buy the new wheel and move on. Hmm. And, and that's precisely what they're doing now. In fact, that's what they did in the computer revolution in 1950s, is they simply bought their way into the new generation. And so um, Buffett bought into it because it's not so much a technology company as it is a, a gigantic brand uh, sales company that, that has tremendous moat. I thought he changed his mind on IBM recently. Did well, I get he, that wrong? No, he said, you know, it could be a mistake, you know. Oh, well, that's a little bit changing your mind. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't think so. Oh, <laughs> that is the least helpful statement of all time. <laughs> it may have been a mistake. It's Uncle Warren. It's Uncle Warren being very politic about it all. You know. All right, well, let, let's go on because I, I want to dive deeper into this. Um, so now we have um, a, our ten cap view of the world says buy this thing for eighty bucks, and our. Uh, our margin of safety on this is $93, up maybe 93 to 100. So there's a pretty big range in there from those two ways of looking at the world. And I think that we probably got as far as we can get in this, this particular podcast. And we're going to pick this up and look at the payback time analysis and the zombie value in the next podcast. So you guys okay, don't so get we have, overwhelmed. We have two more. Two more. Yep. Okay. And okay. we'll see these starting to coalesce around a point. And, you know, and when we see that, we start to become more and more confident that we're looking at the world uh, at, at a pretty decent appraisal of the value of the business um, from four different points of view that have things yeah, in common. I like that. I did not like the idea originally of multiple kinds of valuation because it sounded like a lot of work. But now I'm kind of getting into it because it gives me a little bit, it gives me, it gives me different ways at the same thing. And that thing that I'm trying to get at is, uh, it feels very amorphous to me. So if I have, well, now I've got two, and if we have two more ways to get there and they all kind of come up with like roughly the same thing, that would make me feel emotionally a lot more confident. Well, we're getting there fast now. So we're gonna- <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yep, that's how, that's what's supposed to happen. That's supposed to okay, be cool. the way, yeah. Good. So, okay, good, well, time to go play. See you. All right. Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting all you got to do to go is enter the special podcast code STOCKPILE, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, STOCKPILE, into the application form, and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion, and it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.